Hey, grab your Bible. We're in Mark. Uh, we're going to continue the series that we have started in the Gospel of Mark. And if you're here this morning and you're like, hey, I've been coming to Bayou City. I didn't even know we were in a series in the Gospel of Mark. Well, it's because we took four weeks off uh, in Advent. So just right after Thanksgiving, we, we jumped into Advent, which is, are the weeks that lead up to uh, Christmas. And so it's been a while since we've been in Mark. But we are uh, in a series in the Gospel of Mark up until Easter. So, like I said a few weeks ago, if you got something against Mark, you're coming to the wrong church because we're here. We're here for the next several months. Uh, and so let's, let's refresh a little bit because in the Gospel of Mark, we've been in three chapters so far, and here's what's happening. Mark moves quickly, by the way. And, and as I set this series up, and then Pastor Curtis and Pastor Derek have continued on, Mark moves quickly. He doesn't spend a lot of time. And so where Matthew elaborates and, and uh, Luke is more poetic... Mark is like, I'm, I, we're going to get some stuff done, and then we're going to move on. I want you to get some snapshots. And so we, he moves quickly. Uh, and in the first three chapters, there's some things that are happening in, in the life of Jesus and his disciples. And, and so the first of which is that uh, Jesus uh, be, is, is becoming popular, all right? Word is getting out that this uh, man is healing people and that he's speaking in a way that has power and people are leaving changed, and that word is spreading. And so Jesus becomes extremely popular very quickly, right? He didn't start his ministry as a teenager or as a 20-something, so he just had this short little burst of ministry, a few years, and he becomes popular very quickly. Second thing that happens is he gains followers. So not only is he popular, so people are not only curious or intrigued, but people are leaving their homes, and they're traveling long distances. And in many cases, they're leaving their jobs. They're quitting their jobs, and they are following Jesus. So he's, he's becoming popular, and he's gaining followers. And then anytime that happens, this is even true today, right? So anytime those two things happen, uh, thirdly, he, he's gaining some resistance. There's some pushback. If you were to open your Bible to chapter 3 in Mark, you would see that even the scribes, even the religious people are like, we think he's possessed, we think the guy's possessed. We think he's lying, and we think he's possessed. So he's popular. He's gaining followers, and then because of that, he's starting to get some serious pushback, and people are starting to question him. And so uh, in chapter 4, Jesus is uh, teaching by the sea. This is the Sea of Galilee. I, I don't know about you. Do you have a reference for that? In your, do, you even, do you know what that looks like? All right, so this is, this is not Galveston, all right? Uh, I'm not hating because I love Galveston as much as the next guy, but this is not Pocket Beach Park, number four, okay? Uh, this is the Sea of Galilee, which is, has mountains all around. In fact, I have a picture of this is what it looks like today. And uh, the mountains, and, and I read this week that the, the cold air of the mountains would, comes down quickly in the warm air of the water, and it creates storms that are not typical for this size body of water because what you'll see in this very chapter, if we were to keep reading today, which I think maybe Pastor Derek is going to get to this point uh, for us in a few points, but in a few weeks. But uh, it, Jesus calms the storm. Well, that's the same sea we're talking about, okay? The Sea of Galilee. And so on uh, the, the edge of the Sea of Galilee, what happens is, in several places, is the shoreline ascends quickly. It's 700 feet below sea level, right? You catching this? So the, the body of water is extremely low, and so the shore then ascends very quickly, and it creates in some parts of the Sea of Galilee uh, what feels almost like an amphitheater. 
And so Jesus, I mean, can you think of a better place to teach? I mean, I love Cypress, Texas, but if this was close by, we're taking our church down there, right? I mean, this is a good place to set up shop, and Jesus begins to, to teach. Well, what happens in this passage, the, the very first thing that we read is the crowds started to gather. And we're not talking hundreds at this point, right? I just told you how popular he was. And so thousands of people are showing up. And so he, I would imagine, at, in the very you know, last minute before he's like going to you know, uh, give this uh, talk, he is looking around and going, I- I'm nervous. Because these crowds are not coming just to you know, stand in the back and check, check it out. These crowds are coming to somehow get close to him because he's been healing people. They want to touch him. They want, hey, would you heal me? And so I would imagine this is not a... Uh, this is not a passive crowd, and they begin to press in on Jesus, and probably at the last minute, he says to his disciples, you know what? Get the boat and bring it up to as close as you can to the shore, and I'll stand on the boat. Do you have this in your mind? This is, as he begins to teach, and we're going to read this morning, he is standing on a boat, and the crowds are all along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's a powerful scene. Thousands of people have gathered. And so, uh, in uh, chapter 4, here's what I'd like you to do. There are the first nine verses, most likely in your, in your Bible. That's a, a pretty, uh, uh, it, there's a break there. And so I want you to glance to your left and to your right. I want you to see who has a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, fan, that's, that's, that's no big deal. Oh, by the way, we always have Bibles. If you ever want a Bible or you got a neighbor who wants a Bible, we are going to spend budget money always on Bibles. And when we run out, we order more, always. And so if you ever want to grab one of those, they're in the lobby. And if you don't see him there, come find me or find one of our staff and say, hey, where are those Bibles? You can always grab those at no cost, and we want you to be able to have one for yourself or have one for a friend. But I want you to see who has a Bible. Then secondly, I want you to read the first nine verses of Mark chapter 4, and I want you to read it out loud so that I know that you uh, are awake and, and coherent, and, um, but you don't have to just at your own pace, and then uh, if you don't have a Bible, look on with somebody. And then we're going to come back together. Does that make sense? So start reading now, Mark chapter 4, the first nine verses. Mark 4, 1 through 9. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some feed fell, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. It immediately sprang up, and since it had no depths of soil, and when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so Jesus teaches on the boat. At the shore, and if you are familiar with the Bible at all, you know that Jesus is not a typical teacher. Uh, He does not make a point or preach a sermon and then find some great little illustration that reinforces his point. You follow me? So what Jesus does often 
is he teaches in parables. And the unique thing about parables is that it is a story that then leaves the listener in a position where he or she has to decipher the meaning, right? The meaning did not precede the story, and it's a very interesting way to teach. And what happens is, as Ali just read for us and as you read on your own, the first nine verses of Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower, and he uses this farming analogy. So he's got the attention of thousands of people, and this is what he has chosen to, to say, a farming story, Right? And it's a parable, and what happens, we're going to see this in verse 10, is a bunch, a bunch of people are saying, what are you talking about, right? Like, what, what, what was that? What in the world did that story mean? And to me, I, like, I, I enjoy, I was in, in Washington, D.C. I've told you this before. I love D.C., so I was at the National Gallery of Art and it's unbelievable. And some of the paintings in there you can walk up to. You know, you, you've done this. It's real quiet. And you're, and you're looking at these masterpieces. And some of them make sense, right? You go, that's a beautiful painting. I see what the artist is saying. And then you get to the kind of the abstract paintings. And you, you're standing in front of this painting. You're like, what in the world is that? Like, it, it, a little explanation underneath the painting would be fantastic. And that's what Jesus is doing with these parables. He's not giving you the explanation. He's painting a picture, and then he's asking you to, to ponder and to, and to weigh this. And so that's what he's doing with these parables. And you can imagine if we taught like this at Bayou City Fellowship. So if Pastor Derek or Pastor Curtis showed up, or if I'm uh, preaching and we said, Mark chapter 4, there was a farmer and he threw some seed along a path. And then he threw some seed amongst the rocks. And then he threw some seed amongst an area of thorns. And then he threw some seed in a good soil. Let him who have ears hear. Drop the mic, you know, and just walk <laughs> off. You're like, what are you talking about? Like, what does that mean? Like, what, what, what? And that's what, that's what Jesus does here. And we see this. In verse 10, and so I want you, we didn't read this part yet, so I want you to read along if you've got a copy of the scriptures. But the disciples, after Jesus gives this farming talk, they approach him, and it says actually not just the disciples, it's the disciples plus a small group, maybe a hundred or so, and they're sticking around afterwards. Everybody else probably leaves pretty puzzled, and this smaller group gathers around Jesus, and they say exactly what you would say if I did that today. What was that? Matthew's account of this story actually says, why, why are you teaching in these parables? Why are you doing this? Nobody gets it. So in verse 10, and when he was alone, he meaning Jesus, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. Verse 11, and he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. And this is intriguing because what Jesus is saying, and this, 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 this took me a bit to really wrap my, my heart around this week because at first glance, Christianity for you and I can often feel like there are two groups. So follow, track with me right here. They can often feel like there are two groups. This group over here are the people who get it. So you walk in this morning and you're like, man, that, that, that dude seems like he, he, I don't, he's raising his hands and he's got, uh, he knew what to do with communion and when the pastors talk and he's nodding and that dude gets it and there can often feel like there's another group that maybe many of you feel like you're a part of is the, 
I don't, I don't get it, group. When I open my Bible, I, I, I don't always understand what Jesus is saying. And you got these two very distinct groups, the folks who get it and the folks who don't. And actually what Jesus says, if you caught this, is he's saying there's, 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 the, the two groups are actually this this morning. And this is true for us. The two groups are actually, there's a group on this side. Hey, we don't get it, but we want to. I don't know what Jesus is saying, but I want to lean in. I want to press in, not just on Sundays, but with all my life, I want to follow Jesus. And so when I open Mark chapter 4, I don't fully understand it, but I want to. I'm going to commit myself to it. I want to follow Jesus. That's the first group. This group over here is, I, I, I don't understand this, and I'm not positive that I really want to. It seems like I may have to give up some stuff, and so I'm going to. I'm going to head out. That is good news for us this morning. Because the last thing that you need to feel like when you gather with the people of God is, I am the only one in the room who doesn't understand the ways of God. I say to you, actually, welcome to the family, right? God moves in mysterious ways. And it's not our job to always feel like we've got everything figured out. But it is our job, according to Jesus in this passage, is to say, you know what? I, I, I want to. And the disciples and this small group that hung around in verse 10, they're actually saying to Jesus, one, why are you doing that? What was the deal with the farming? But please tell us. We actually want to know. We have, we have traveled a long way. We are following you. And we want to know what the ways of Christ. We want to know. And that's my hope for us this morning that you and I lean in. And so what separates us, this divide right here, so you got this group over here, what divides right here this morning for us is pretty clear. It's our, it's our response to the message of Jesus. It's not an enlightenment or we've got this level of understanding now. We do hope that digging into the scriptures, uh, an active prayer life and gathering with community brings revelation that the Spirit of God will bring. We do pray for that. I pray that in my own life and for you. But what divides us this morning is to say, hey, I may not get everything about you, God, but I want to. I want to. Verse 13. Jesus then begins to explain what he's talking about. So these disciples in this group are like, hey, walk us through. Uh, The farming deal, what's that about? Verse 13, he begins to tell us. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Stop right there. What he's saying is this parable is actually fairly simple because I'm about to break it down for you. And if you don't get this one, you are definitely not going to get the next four, five, six, seven parables I'm about to lay out. So you better catch hold of this. Verse 14. The sower sows the word. So he's saying the seed that we're talking about this morning. By the way, you ought to get this this morning. So you're like, hey, I kind of checked out for a minute. What are we talking about? The farming farming story he's saying is the seed that is being planted. That's the word of God. That's the word of God. It's the truth of the gospel of Jesus. Verse 15. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it, and they receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. 
and others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and they choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and they bear fruit. 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Jesus questioned about what he's talking about tells us. And he tells us beginning in verse 13 and he breaks it down like this. Number one. There are seeds that will be tossed along the path. All right? That's terrible farming, by the way, but they're just tossed along the path right there. Men and women will hear the gospel of Jesus, and though it sounds intriguing at first, they will reject it. The seed will not be planted, and they will reject it for a variety of reasons. And he tells us, what what happens? What am I trying to say? The enemy, and he says it clearly. Well, who's the enemy? No, no, he says, Satan is the enemy. And Satan moves in and removes that seed, removes the word, and it never has a chance to take root. Well, why does that happen? Well, they, uh, you and I, men and women who hear the gospel of Jesus, they, they simply uh, may ignore it. So you're like, sounds good. I like this church. Sounds great. No thanks. The gospel you guys are Sharon and, and, and the worship in response to that gospel sounds great, but I'm, I'm going to ignore it. And so that's, that's very common for you and I. You may get distracted. Uh, you may be counting how many light bulbs are in this fixture right now. I don't know what, what the distraction is, but don't start counting. I'm watching. <laughs> you may just have a distraction, uh, not only... Uh, uh, in, in, in physically present, you know, the distraction in the room, but maybe just something stern in you that's going to distract you, and the, that seed has no, no shot. It's just a seed along the path of your life that Satan will immediately pick back up, and that's what Jesus is saying. It may be just ignorance. Hey, I don't. I, 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 you know what? When you said that, I am in the group like, I don't get it, and I'm not positive I want to... to move on from my ignorance. I want to just remain right there. I don't know. I don't get it. And I'm not sure I want to. And so for many reasons, you may be a path where the seed is going to be dropped and Satan will immediately pick it up. Secondly, he says, there will be seed that's tossed among the rocks. And so this group is men and women who hear the gospel of Jesus and they hear how he can save and they're all in. They go, man, that's, that's, I want, I'll, that sounds awesome. I want to be a part of that. And so they go from zero to 100 miles an hour. I want you to think like uh, if you grew up in the church at all or you had any kind of connection to it, like, uh, like youth camp, all right? So uh, I met my wife at youth camp. You can't get any more youth camp than that. Like I actually met the, the love of my life at camp. And so at camp, what happens? You show up on Monday and uh, you're like, I don't know about this. I don't even know if I like. Like, y'all, you, I don't know if I, the music, I don't, the sermon. Tuesday, you're like, I'm warming up to this. Wednesday, you're like, I think, I think this is happening. Thursday night, you're like, I am going to sell everything I have. I'm all in. I love, I actually do love you. I thought I didn't love you. And and the music actually is good. I love the music. I love love. Love is love. God is love. And you're just all love. And then you get home and three or four days later, you're like, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think I'll, I'm, I'm, I'll probably head back to the way things were. It was a little easier, and I think I was, uh, you know, I think they slipped something in my juice or something. Something was, uh, and th- so you think youth camp, like, so th- this idea that there's, 
uh, there's rocky soil. And so, again, I'm no expert on farming. I'm the last guy who should be talking about farming. But if you've got some soil and it's got rocks, you can actually sprout. And what happens is there's a little bit of soil that can, that can uh, take that seed. The problem is the, the rocks keep those roots from growing down. So you've got a little bit of a, a sprout, but that's going to die. There's just no way for those roots to actually dig down. And so that second group Jesus is talking about, you know, these seeds that are tossed among uh, the rocks. And so there may be some excitement. There may be some, there may be some uh, the appearance of life, but it's not legitimate. There's no roots there. Third group is this. The seed is tossed among the thorns, and this is, uh, this is probably a bunch of us. I mean, I'll just be honest. I, this is probably a bunch of us in the room. And it's, it's, there has been parts of my life where this is probably truer. Than, than not. And what this means, the thorns, it, it basically is this. I will follow Jesus, but it's going to be on my terms. And it's, I'm going to lay some groundwork that I protect, fill in the blank. I, I protect my security. I protect my finances. I protect my future. I've got some things in order here that I am going to keep in place, but I am saying, yes, Jesus, just know that I got some, I got some things that you and I need to get, get straight. And so that's as ludicrous as allowing a one and a half year old toddler to live in your home or my home and say, Here's the deal. Uh, I'm going to live here as a one and a half year old, but this is going to be on my terms, okay? So I've got some things that I need to lay out for you. So Liz and I have five kids. One of the the beautiful things about having five kids is they're all just radically different. And our firstborn, uh, as a toddler, was 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 is is a radically different kid. He's a strong kid, and he's grown to be an awesome young man. But Ethan, when he was one and a half. If he could have articulated it, he would have said, hey, thanks, uh, thanks for letting me live here. I, I've, I've got some terms that we need to discuss. And one of the terms that, so this, let me start with this. One of the terms is that when you put me in, in my crib, I'm going to scream till you come get me. All right. And so this is our first kid. We don't know what we're doing. I mean, I hate to admit that publicly. We're like, my God, like, well, how's this work? And we'd set him in his crib and, and that little dude would scream for, I mean, he'd, he'd scream for an hour almost. And then as young parents, you're like, Am I, are we terrible parents? I think we are. We're terrible. And then, but maybe we're, I'm reading some stuff online. Like maybe we're good parents. Like we leave him. We're going to teach him, you know, don't let him sleep in your bed. We're just every night. Just, and then I remember, I mean, he, he literally was barely, barely walking. And there was one night he's in there doing his scream thing. And we're like, oh, this is, this, we're trying to relax and, and, and unwind. And, and, and so he's screaming. We got the monitor thing. That makes it even worse, right? You just see him like, who needs to see this? And so uh, he's screaming and throwing. And then all of a sudden, uh, we're in the kitchen away from the monitor and the screaming stops. And that little dude just comes walking down the hallway. And we're like, you got to be joking me. How did you, what in the world? And so we go check and he figured out how to move his crib closer to the, to the door, right? Because he had some terms he needed to discuss with us, right? And so as he got a little older, we went trick-or-treating and I tried to explain to him, here's the deal. If, you, if you'll just do what I say, as in like, hold my hand, we'll walk to these people's door. They will give you candy for free. All right. That's how awesome this is. But my man just screamed and yelled because he's like, that's not on my terms. Like, I just, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm like, it's free candy. Like, just, just do this. And then lastly, there's a Barnes and Noble close by, right? 
And they used to have these trains set up. Maybe they still do. I don't know. Thomas train deal. And you could go and you could just straight up play for a while. I know I was trying to look like I'm actually in there for books, but I'm like, I'm just in here. Just, this is like free babysitting right here. I'm like, thank you for keeping it occupied. But when it was time to go, uh, he would, he would, his terms were, uh, no, it's not. Time. I'm, not, I'm not leaving yet. And he would freak out. And there was one time that he freaked out. And he's kicking and screaming, and I've got him literally just like this. I mean, it's terrible, right? I just got him. I'm walking. And this employee starts to approach me, and basically it says, is this your child? Like, are you, are you kidnapped? Like, we were in there recently. I just thought, they thought I was kidnapping him because this kid, he had his own terms, right? This is as ludicrous. It's as ludicrous as just assuming that you can somehow have this kind of religious relationship with Christ and still... Go well. I, mean, I, I know I'm a toddler, but here, here's some of the here's some of the terms I'd like to I'd like to lay out. There's a, a fourth group. Jesus says there is a seed that falls on good soil. I mean, who doesn't want to be in this group? This is just one of these passages. You're like, yeah, that's the group. In fact, I'm in that group. I'm definitely there. I mean, I got pretty good things happening. And what Jesus says is, these are men and women who they'll hear the word. And they'll pursue the Lord and they'll accept the truth. And here's what happens. When a seed falls on good soil, it does what? It, 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 bears, it bears fruit, right? So there's, there's actually evidence. How do you know if that seed has fallen on good soil? It's because there's, there's fruit. And, and Jesus says in the passage, it's not just a little. It's actually 30, 60 times, 100 times. Palestinian farming, again, who there's, I'm definitely no expert, but I've read this this week. Palestinian farming, a tenfold crop would have been a, a successful crop. And Jesus is saying when that seed falls on good soil, if your heart is open and you've, you've allowed God to remove the rocks and the thorns and you, you've surrendered your life to Jesus, that seed gets planted. And, and uh, the fruit of that, the fruit of that is, is bigger than you could ever, you could ever imagine. And so this morning, when you and I read Mark chapter 4, the one thing that was so evident to me this week is that I am in this chapter. And if you are breathing this morning, you are represented here. Honestly, you may not be in the group that you had hoped you were in. It's just a reality. And part of my job, honestly... It's just to remind myself and you that we are a sinful people and we can get easily distracted and we can get really excited and we can bring our own terms to Christ. And so part of what my hope is this morning is that you and I long to be people who say, I want the seed of the word of God to be planted on good soil in my life. How do I do that? I heard a pastor this week say something that I thought was profound, that one of the challenges about being in a church in the Bible Belt is that so many of us, me included, we can believe ourselves to be Christian people because of the morality that, that we live. You, you, you are good people. You know, you're just straight up good. We, we live good lives. I am a nice guy in my neighborhood, right? I'm a nice guy to my neighbor. Most people who meet me are going to go, man, that guy's a friendly guy. And sometimes you and I, we mistake that morality or we mistake that, 
those good works as being a legitimate relationship with Christ when in many cases it's just not true. And in other parts of the world, it's a little easier to decipher because, you know, you're like, man, honestly, I'm not that great. I'm, I'm terrible. I am in need of Christ. And so you and I can have these blinders up that are really scary. Um, the, the radical message of Jesus, and I, I want you to understand, is that salvation is radical and permanent. What do I mean by that? Ravi Zacharias I love this quote. He said this, Jesus did not come to make bad people good because that's not radical. You and I are already there. You and I are already there. You're not bad. You're not, you're, you're, you decent man or woman, you know, we're not. So bad people to good, that's not radical. Ravi Zacharias says he actually came to make dead people come alive. That's radical. The fact that you and I could look into our own lives and go, you know what, I, I was dead. I was in the grave spiritually. I, mean, I may have had money in my account or, or not, or I may have lived in the house I wanted or not, or I may have the family thing happening like I wanted. I got the amount of kids I wanted, or I may, you know, I'm single, but I'm pursuing the job. I just graduated college, or things are actually happening, but honestly, if I'm just going to be straight up right now, like I'm in the grave, and what radical, radical gospel message this morning is that I was once dead and now I'm alive. What is not radical is for you to somehow think that you're going to be good enough or have some good things happening. You're going to bear some fruit. And by bearing some fruit, that's going to lead you to salvation. That is what we call a false gospel, right? The idea that you could somehow work your way to God. That's what I said earlier, right? We don't come with all these New Year's resolutions. Believe me, I need to have some. So if you got some, fantastic. But we don't come with some spiritual resolution that's somehow going to bear some fruit and then open the door to Jesus. That's not what happens. That's a false gospel. The true gospel is the seed that gets planted by the grace of God, clearing back the stones, clearing back the thorns of my life. And I don't always understand you, Jesus, but I want to. That leads to bearing fruit. That leads to the kindness that I would show. That leads me to say, you know what? This honestly isn't my money. And uh, I, got, I got bills and I got some, I got some college, uh, colleges coming up. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be responsible. But God, what do you want me to do with my, my checkbook? And I'm speaking from the heart there because that's not always easy for me. And God, honestly, I want to bear some fruit in the way that I uh, live on my street. I do not want to be just another neighbor. I want to love and serve well and be somebody that is sharing. That that comes from the seed being planted. And many of you this morning, I'm just going to be honest with you as we start the year. It's not a New Year's resolution. Many of you just need to start the year and go, man, the seed has not taken root in me. And so when you look at these, when you look at this passage and you go, well, who's a Christian in this passage? I mean, Jesus kind of gives us four options right there. Right along the path, the seed that Satan immediately picks up, and amongst the rocks that uh, you know appears to have some life, you kind of got the appearance of life. And then he tells us amongst the thorns, like, "Hey, I am going to follow you, but I got all these other things happening." And then, then the good soil. And and so, for many of you, I just would say, as we start 2017, would you be bold enough just to examine yourself? I'm not asking, and nor am I ever going to be your pastor who's turning into some, like, fruit inspector, all right? I'm not asking you to be a fruit inspector. Like, you don't need to be looking at your neighbor being like, we should take a vote on this guy. I don't know about this guy. Does he have fruit? That's not what we're talking about. In the New Testament, what we see often 
And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, he says, examine yourselves. Actually, it says, test yourself. And then he says, examine yourself so that you would know that that seed has taken root in good soil. So if you think, man, this guy, is this this like a, what is this, like a judgmental, like is he judging me right now? No, because I got my own examining to do, right? What I am asking you is just, you, you may need to examine yourself. As you start the year, I can't think of a better time to do that. And just say, God, is, is the soil of my heart actually going to produce some fruit? Because if not, I hate to say it, but I may not, I may not be a follower of Christ, and I, I want to. I want to be in that group that says, I don't always understand you, but I want to. Right? John 15, 5 says this, I am the vine. This is Jesus speaking. I am the vine. You are the branches, and he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. So your understanding of the gospel of Jesus ought to be very clear. There's got to be a seed planted that produces fruit, not the other way around. Not a good person who becomes better and somehow finds Jesus. That ain't going to happen. There is assurance in our salvation, though, so please don't hear me that somehow... You could allow the seed to be planted, but then that seed is removed. You know, I, thought, I thought I was a Christ follower, but now you're, you're saying, that's not what I'm saying. There's assurance in our salvation. So if you have come honestly and openly to Jesus, John 5 says, anyone who hears the word and believes it, he has eternal life. So you and I believe that. That's not he has a temporary version of eternal life till he or she messes up. That's not the gospel either. There is assurance in salvation. So I want you to, this morning to be assured in your salvation. I want you to say, the soil of my life is, is good soil. We're going to pray together. And I want to challenge you to, to come for prayer. And some of you may have a, a, a prayer that you have hesitated to pray, which is, I want, I want to follow Jesus. This is a new year, and I just can't think of a better time to say, yeah, I've, I've had thorns and rocks in my life that have just They've straight up just blocked the seed, the truth of, of, of the word of God to be planted. Some of you may go, I've, I have been distracted by illness, circumstances that may be in my control or not. I got good friends who've been looking for jobs for a while, and it stinks. You know, some of you may be there and you just go, man, I, I'm really sick of praying for this. And so I want to invite you to come. And just have somebody else pray over you and just go, I don't understand your ways, God. I I desire this, and I think it's your will for me, but I I, I need some prayer. I want to invite you to come. And some of you may just come and say, I have uh, been lonely in the idea of living life as a Christ follower in the context of community. I want to do that. How do I do do that? So I'm going to pray. And actually, when when I'm praying... Uh, we're going to have a team of folks who uh, are part of our prayer team. They're not expert Christians, you know. They're just people that said, I, I, I follow Christ and I love to pray with somebody. And so men and women, if you're a woman, I'd invite you just to come forward and find a woman to pray with you. If you're a man, to come forward and find a man to, to pray with you. And, but most of all, I, I would hope that there are a few of us that just go, I, I want to follow Jesus and I haven't been. And I thought maybe I, I was there, but I'm not sure I was. That's my prayer for you this morning. Let's pray together. Father God, we're grateful for this passage and we're grateful that uh, this is not a 
we're actually not confused by Jesus' explanation here. We're not left to go, what? What are you talking about, God? We actually leave that passage going, the word of God is speaking to us. That many of us find ourselves in places where we assumed we were Christ followers because of some goodness in our lives, but I'm, that it may not be the case. And so let, the, the, let God plant a seed in us that, that will take root. And so thank you for, for this passage. Thank you uh, for Jesus. Thank you that he came and spoke and taught, but then ultimately died. He took our spot. So his death becomes our life. That's a miracle. That is radical. That is radical. And so may we embrace the radical grace of Jesus as we begin a new year together at Bayou City Fellowship. God, may we be a praying people. We're not going to will this year to be great. We're not going to resolve that this year is going to be better than last year. We are going to pray and seek the Lord together by his grace. uh, May you move powerfully amongst us and in our city and around the globe. So we pray together in the name of Jesus.